Welcome to Parenting Refreshed, an original podcast from UNICEF that explores the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on parents, caregivers, and children. From mental health and technology to climate change, immunization, war, and the health issues of tomorrow. Each episode features experts in that field informing us about the latest information that science and experience has to offer. That is why UNICEF Parenting brings together some of the world's leading experts to share facts, helpful tips, and practical guidance. Information that parents can trust to help give their children the best start in life. Head to unicef.org forward slash parenting. My name is Dr. Pia Ribello Brito. I'm delighted to be part of this podcast on education and parenting, both as a mother and also as a professional. As a mother, it has been a true joy for me to be part of my children's education journey to watch them go through school, enjoy learning, making friends, and really experience the opportunities that have come from that. As a professional, I believe that giving every child the right to learn, the right to have an education, opens doors for them to be able to develop what they'd like, to move on in life, to access the careers they would like to be the people they want to be. And really, this conversation today allows me to bring together both my belief as a professional and my joy as a parent in what I know education can do to make a difference. Today, I'm talking with... Hi, I'm Dr. Jennifer Kotler. I am the Research and Content Strategy Lead of the Kids and Family Team at Google. I have a PhD in child development. I have been studying the effects of media and technology for 25 plus years. My job is basically to make the internet a great place for kids, teens, and families. We're going to be discussing online learning, how technology can make parents' lives easier, and why it's important that everybody has access to the abundant resources So let's start by looking at the general shifts in education since the pandemic started. In 2020, when the pandemic spread around the world, I think one of the largest disruptions in modern history was to education. This is an institution We all took for granted it was part of our lives because close to 90% of children around the world are in primary school and that institution got disrupted. And with that disruption, we have started to see a number of trends and changes. The first is global attention to education and why it matters. I think it was considered something that just existed, but we didn't realize the importance of it We didn't realize what's going on in education, especially learning outcomes for children, which around the world are less than meeting expectations. And this opportunity gave us a chance to bring in new technologies to improve the quality of education in the classroom 
for the children, but also for the teachers to enable them to be more effective in their practices. And most importantly, I think it was a time when parents understood what are their children's learning needs. And as we see these trends, these changes, now is the time when we can shape it and really think about in these past two and a half years of all that occurred, what is it we want to take forward for our children to have their best learning journey? So as we look at these shifts, Jen, what have you seen changing since the pandemic? Yeah, well, I think it's so true what you say about we've we took for granted what education offered. We just assumed this was the way it was always going to be. You go to school, you learn while you're at school, you come home, you do some maybe do some activities that the teacher gave you at home, but we just assumed that's the way it would always be. And the pandemic like you said, shook that to the very core. For so many, it really woke us up. Those of us who work in the education and informal education space about what the opportunities are, should something like this happen again? But also it just really made us think about different ways that we can bring education and learning and joy and connectiveness to children all over the world, we clearly saw major inequities in terms of children who had resources to learn at home versus those who did not. And I think we've really been trying to address some of those inequities. And I also think that it helped different people think of and different organizations think about ways that we learned from using technology in a way to really support children's learning. And it really highlighted the need for high quality educational and entertaining content for kids all over the world and how important that was for many of them to continue learning when at home. And I think this point of inequities is very, very stark, Jen. We had worked a lot on the school being an institution that has a universal implementation. But when that got disrupted, there wasn't a sort of second system that kicked into place immediately with the same focus on equity. And access to technology definitely started to create a gap. I know here in, in Laos, we launched the Kangpanya Lao, the wisdom platform. It's a digital teaching learning platform. And we had to create both online and offline versions of it, including paper versions of it, to address inequity in access to basically the internet, to put it very, very simply, and not to disadvantage parents who want the best for their children. Yeah, and I think there have been many different initiatives where different countries and states and, and local jurisdictions and big tech companies have really tried to, to bring access to those who didn't have it, and also better access to those who, who already had it. It was a wake-up call for everybody to make sure that kids 
had access to learning materials and through technology. And Jen, you did a study on this when you're talking about children around the world. That's based on some research you did, right? Yeah, well, I was part of a global consortium of many researchers around the world. There were about, uh, gosh, I don't know how many researchers were involved, but that was about 42 countries that were represented in this global study. In, and it's now in a book uh, called Children and Media Worldwide in a Time of a Pandemic. And it's edited by Maya Gotts and Daphna Lemish. And it was looking to see how kids ages 9 to 13 around the world were using media and technology throughout the pandemic and what they were using it for and how they were using it in different locations. And it didn't focus so much on formal education, but it focused on how they, how kids were using technology to help them learn about what was going on uh, with the pandemic, to, to learn about the news, but also really to relax. And so many of them were using media and technology to, to relax or connect with other people or to just get their minds off the stress of what was going on. And so from that point of view, I mean, I think we, we talk about uh, technology and the need in formal education spaces, but technology can do so much for kids in terms of that informal learning and that learning outside the home, being exposed to things that they might not see in their everyday lives and being able to play games and build things and create in a way that was really novel compared to many, many years ago. So so the kids were really telling us that that technology was really necessary to help them go th- get through the whole experience. Jen, this really links very closely to what you and I have been, been working on, which is when we look at education programs or other programs, the focus has always been in terms of what is it that the system wants to provide and not what is it so much that parents want from it. And I think this is a really good chance to sort of turn the paradigm around and say, even your study shows, turn that paradigm around and say, what do parents want from education and technology these days? Like you're saying, it's just not continually being bombarded with information. Maybe it's balancing that out with relaxation. Maybe it's balancing out the pace at which information comes to you, the learning comes to you, to meet the rhythm of the family, how a family sort of comes together around learning experiences. And I think this is something where we now have a unique window. And your study is showing that. And I think you and I, this is something we're really working on. And now that we have had this disruption, how can we recalibrate so that the curriculum, so that the methodologies really come to that 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 meeting point. So what are you hearing that parents want from education and technology these days? Well, it's, it's actually very interesting. We just got some data back from an organization that we work with called The Family Room, and they've been tracking parents' priorities for themselves and for their children over many, many years. And what they found through the pandemic was that certain priorities have been really pretty strong throughout. Some others have gone down. So for example, parents are not as concerned as they had been in years past about their kids getting good grades, for example, or making them proud with academic achievement. But really, 
they're interested in making sure that their children are able to discover that their child is resilient, that their child makes friends. And so some of these more social emotional skills are really at the forefront of what parents are looking for, for their children. And not to say that the academic um, enrichment isn't important, and clearly we're seeing that there are major declines in that um, all over the globe, and the inequities there are, are really stark. So it's not to say that those things aren't important, but given what everyone has gone through for the last few years and the mental health challenges that are really seen globally, parents are really saying, I need my child to be able to be resilient and develop skills that will help them be grownups and be able to handle things when things get tough. Are you seeing that kind of pattern as well? Yeah, I mean, I think this whole coming together of of the different parts of the brain, yeah. where it's just not purely the academic learning, but the social part of the brain, the emotional part of the brain, it all contributes because learning is not just what you learn, but also how you learn. Right. And how you learn is building yourself, building your character. And I think this resiliency that you've talked about, the adaptability, the ability to overcome the odds is a big piece. And I think that, and I'm sure parents listening to us right now will probably be thinking about what are their own priorities? What do they want to get out of education these days that is going to prepare their child for for a better future? So in this new shift that's occurring, what kinds of things are, are children learning online, Jen? Children are learning all sorts of things online from the academic subjects to the creative endeavors, creating their own games, creating their own media collages of various things. They're learning a lot of social skills. They're negotiating with other people about how to build things and how to navigate these uh, digital spaces. And I think one of the things in in this scenario, especially for, for the younger children, is that a lot of the learning is adult-mediated. And here the role of the teacher is is really key. So as they're learning online, how does the teacher or the adult in their life help them navigate that technology and learn in a way that is that is supportive? And and we know the pandemic had a huge impact on, on teachers. For almost two years, they were out of school, the place where they would go to work. Um, and for many, many teachers, they just had to learn a whole new host of skills. You know, you're used to a classroom, the kids walk in, all that energy exchange, and suddenly all day you're sitting in front of a camera and you have all these kids across from you on a screen. I mean, how do you engage them, especially kindergartners, first graders? The effects on teachers were massive because they are so passionate about getting their kids to learn and they knew it wasn't quite working the way it should. There's also a chance here to support teachers. Some what we've been seeing, Jen, in this learning online is that teachers are saying when we're able to bring in some pieces of technology into the classroom, so blended, so not one or the other, not teachers or technology, but bringing it together that they support teachers. We're also seeing an increase in interest in mathematics, for example, because now the subject matter comes alive. They have digital tools, they have programs, they play with math, they play with numbers, and you get the number concept. 
you get the reasoning, the mathematical reasoning, and that combination of the teacher feeling supported with almost having a digital teacher's aid with him or her, and then the kids engaging in that material because somehow being able to use technology in learning seems to be to be very forward-looking. So I think this is something interesting also for, for teachers to have now and how do we support them in improving the, the quality of, of the sort of classroom engagement. I think the reality of the matter is devices are not going away. And the blur between technology, the real life is going to get sort of greater and greater. As we see these trends and we've talked about it, Google, your company, is really has a huge influence in shaping how children learn online, what they learn, how they learn. And I'm sure many of the parents listening today have a lot of concerns. So they are probably interested in knowing what are big influencers like you, like Google doing? What are your priorities in developing learning aids for children to really get a conducive and, and a quality learning environment for kids, for teachers? So much of what we do, what is underlining all of it is that we want children to do this safely and that we know that a child is coming to us and wanting to learn and explore. And so we have a lot of systems in place to good defaults when we know a child is using our, our platform, but we also give lots of choice to parents as well. So Family Link, which is our parental supervision app, really allows parents to decide what is right for them and their child and their family in terms of how they want children to access content, what they think is appropriate, for how long, how much. Parents can see that when they go in to the Google Play Store, that there are a number of apps that have been vetted by teachers and have that teachers have said, these are good apps that are supporting a child's development in a positive way. It's not in all countries. It's in many countries. It's not everywhere. What we have to remember is that the internet or digital experiences, it's a tool. It can be used in a way that is really supportive of well-being, and it can be used in a way that might not be the greatest for well-being. And I think that we want to make sure that we are offering the best to kids and their families, but we also know that different families have different needs and different countries have different needs. Education is a big part on our own family values. You know, a lot of education, yes, we have a curriculum, but if we all look back at, at life, a lot of our acculturation and the, and the value we put on certain subjects or certain sports or certain arts, a lot of it is family values. A lot of it is what is the family thinking about it and needs, like you said, what are the needs families have? And then the talents, where is the child shining? Where are they showing interest? And I think then having a menu of options that allows parents to select good content that is validated, then speaks to parents engaging with this content in a way that they want, that resonates with them. That's part of what they want for their children because that's their family. Everyone's so proud. You know, my parents taught me X, Y, and Z. We all are. And we want to pass that on. And I think what you're talking about doing with Google is giving that tool to pass it on in a way that it can be more personalized. 
But I think the flip side of it is the one that's very important, which is it's not all good on the internet. And how do we preserve, as you said, protect children, promote their well-being, and really help children wean off a social media diet? Because the problem is when you're on the device, it gives you same access to education materials, learning materials, and also social media. Like there's no gates in there. So how can we inspire children? How do you think we can inspire children to use more of their time online to learn and maybe not so much on on social media? I think what it is, it's about a having a balanced media and technology diet and understanding what else the child is doing. I remember years ago when we were having this conversation about television and television, everyone thought, oh, television is so bad for your children and, you know, they should be doing all these other things. Well, the study was showing that kids who were using a lot of television for educational purposes and educational being social emotional skills, you know, friendships and and persistence and resiliency, all I, all of what I talked about before, the kids who were using TV for those kinds of purposes also were doing a lot of other positive things like reading and playing as well. And so I think the same applies here, which is it really matters what you're using, what your experiences are with that particular tool and what they're displacing. And for a lot of kids, especially during the pandemic, being online was a way to connect with other kids. And that was the playing in the the schoolyard that they couldn't get during the pandemic. Now, in certain places, things have been opened up more. And so, sure, what what is it displacing, I think, is, is a part of it. But I also think we can look to social media as a way to incorporate some of these more enriching experiences as well. And so I think we have to be creative about how do you create a social experience that is actually helping kids create, helping kids build things, helping kids use the resiliency skills and cha- and challenges, that kind of thing. And I think there are many spaces online that actually let kids do that. When I'm talking about kids and social media, I'm really meaning teenagers. And I think so much of it is also talking to your children about what they like and exploring together and playing together. We do a lot of interviews with parents and children, and you can see that they light up when they play a game together, even if it's on technology, where they they talk about how that bonds them together and how kids love being the experts in those games. And usually the parent doesn't know as much as the child, and the child loves that part of it. But it's also a bonding experience, and it's also a time to share your values with your child. If you're playing a a common game and you're talking about it together, it sort of um, shows what you care about. And I think those moments are really special too. So it's really, again, what you're actually doing in the experience, if it's supportive of your family values, and talk to your child about what they're doing and, and explain to them what you like about it, what you don't like about it, and find joint common activities that you can do together. And I, you're right. I think that would inspire children Um, to learn more online when they're not left alone with their device. If there's a way that when they are on the device that there is parental engagement, there is that sort of joint attention 
to what you're doing together, I think there's a much greater likelihood that they would be inspired to to learn together. I think that inspiration to learn more comes when there is that adult mediation because technology is still not set up completely for kids. It's an adult tool and I think we need the adult mediation then for children to benefit from it and be inspired by it. You're listening to Parenting Refreshed from UNICEF with me, Pia Ribello Brito, and Dr. Jennifer Kotler-Clark. A series of podcasts looking at the different aspects of parenting in a world transformed by the COVID-19 pandemic. We're currently looking at education and we're going to talk about why technology should be making things easier for parents what possible effect the metaverse can have on learning, and how we ensure that every child has access to quality education. Just a reminder that if you're affected or curious about any of the issues we're discussing, then please head to unicef.org forward slash parenting for support, advice, and more podcast episodes like this one. How can technology make parents' lives easier in terms of the education and their children? I think technology can really help parents uh, with education in a, in a variety of ways. Some of that is dependent on the school and, and the technology that the school chooses to use with parents. I think parent-teacher communication is incredibly important. And however the school communicates with the, the families, I think, is is something that is is a is very local but i also think just the availability of information and the availability of learning opportunities at home but i think what technology is there for is to help parents find the spark in their child find what the child is interested in and really learn as much as they can about that and learn with the child and as i was mentioning before the tools for monitoring and regulation are also there we use family link for that and many of our our other products have ways that parents can say you know i'm comfortable with these kinds of activities but I'm not comfortable with my child doing those kinds of activities like chatting with people they don't know so I'm going to turn those kinds of things off. So I think just getting a little oriented around what there is to offer. But one question I have for you given that I know you have a real global lens uh, and you're not living in the US at the moment. I know that you see through the UNICEF programming lots of different things going on across the world. How do you think about access and what parents have access to? And what do you want to tell me that I should I should sort of bring back to my people about what we can do? Thanks. Very, very good question. And, and I'm glad we're talking about that because I know all the parents who are listening to, to us today probably have um, different levels of access to the tools you've mentioned. And that's the reality. When schooling was brick and mortar, there were quite a few principles put in place in terms of access um, to school, right, to that classroom. We looked at it in terms of geographic distance, how many kilometers or miles you walked, how many kids in a room. You know, we had all these parameters set up. But now 
after the pandemic, we've come in and there's this whole infiltration now of technology, we kind of don't have those parameters anymore. And we know that it's favoring some populations and not others. Because digital penetration in the world is not 100%. So as you mentioned, Jen, I'm here in the country of Lao PDR. It's a landlocked country in Southeast Asia. And here we have exactly that issue. Children who are in the bigger cities, they have much more access to 3G, 4G, 5G. But then as we go to the more rural areas, um, even electricity isn't there in every school. So how do we ensure that equitable access? So while we try to sort of leapfrog and get every kid, every school somehow connected to the internet through innovation, through gigatypes of technologies, are there also features that Google can create that do not require such sophisticated bandwidth or devices? So things that maybe can work on feature phones and not just smartphones. Are there ways in which products can be created that work in less digitally connected environments for children or schools for children? Are there apps that require less power? Are there apps that require less energy but can still function efficiently? Are there apps that can very easily translate into different languages? where they're not just dependent on, on English? Are there programs that can use a lot of visuals? And all of this will really help accessibility. One of the things we've had to do is we've had to balance digital technologies with paper technologies. For schools that are in the most remote areas, we've sort of almost had to take what some kids can see on a screen and print them and create booklets and send them out to these remote schools. Um, and sometimes these go on a tractor. Sometimes these go on the back of a motorcycle wading through the rivers, but really get them to kids, to the classroom, to where children are. And if there is something that can help to help us bridge this, to move into these remote areas that would be super fantastic. Maybe things that work on solar energy, you know, bringing some of these, these innovations together, I think we would start to, to bridge the divide. The reality is that technology is a huge part of everybody's life. So it's not that we walk away from it, but we bridge it in a way that no child feels disadvantaged and that the technology that is reaching the child for learning is actually conducive to their growth and their development and something that they can engage with, that they can realize who they are, that gives them voice, that gives them the ability to understand that they can do more with it. I, I love it. And I'm happy to say people are always thinking about that kind of thing. We're able to really have a sense of how our experiences differ on different kinds of phones and different capabilities. And we're always thinking about how can we make this experience the best it can be uh, on any kind of device. And so the thought there's a lot of thinking that goes into it in terms of even the teacher approved and expert approved program, just thinking about testing out the, these different apps on, on different phones and understanding how access uh, it differs according to what kind of level of phone it might be. And, and so I think we're always kind of thinking about that. 
And I know my team is very invested in making that kind of thing happen. So yes, let's continue to talk. And one thing, and I don't know if this relates to Google or not, but one of the things that we are doing is we are trying to work with the service providers to ensure zero rating, which means that if a child or a school is using an educational app, they don't get charged for data. And this is another way of increasing access. So we don't disadvantage lower income families, but we ensure that when it comes to accessing some of these core technologies that are linked to learning, they don't pay for data usage. This is something we're trying out to that's great. And you mentioned the translation. And as you know, Google Translate has, uh, I don't, I don't want to say the number because I don't know it off the top of my head, but there's so many languages that Google can accommodate. So I know we're, we're thinking about that as well. And linked with languages, I think, Jen, one of the other issues we're looking at is um, children with developmental differences and different learning styles and learning abilities. Again, when it was a brick and mortar classroom only, we again had a lot that we were looking at in terms of making that more inclusive. But as technology comes in, that now is adding a layer of, of complexity. And, you know, how do we make sure that children with sort of hearing disabilities, visual disabilities, you know, all the different learning disabilities can still navigate the tech world, because that's, that is, that is quite, quite complicated. So we're trying out different efforts here in, in different countries around the world, but I have to say that I'm not sure we have quite, quite cracked that one. Well, we're always thinking about accessibility and inclusion. We do make sure that our apps, our experiences, our instructions are clear, that they can be read with a screen reader. One of the great things about technology is that it can be personalized to a child's needs. And in some way, it can be a really good, I'm going to use the word tool again, in the classroom for a child who might need extra support around particular topics. With the brick and mortar schools you talk about, some of these classrooms just have so many children that the teacher uh, can't attend to, to each and everyone's um, individual needs. And so the class all has to be doing one thing at one time. With technology, different children can have different experiences and learn at their own rates. And I think that's really a benefit of technology that it can be tailored more at the individual level when it's, when it's done correctly. One of the things that was quite successful here in Laos is during the pandemic, we started um, the Laos's version of maybe Sesame Street. It's called My House. And it's a hundred percent made in Laos TV program because every village in the country has access to TV. And so mm -hmm. this was one way to get kids together, learning, singing, talking, and every program has sign language. So this is one of the things we did to start to make the program more inclusive, to bring all mm -hmm. children together. So we are trying ways to sort of look at how the tools Mm -hmm. are going to be individualized. And you're right, I think we can we can do more with that. And it's sort of an ongoing process. And maybe this is a point to think to the future on this. Where do you think education and technology go next? Uh, what do you see coming up in, in the future? Well, I'm very excited about the future. I think that as awful and horrible as these last couple of years have been, and it's really been very challenging, I think there have been some innovations 
around education and technology that really help us think about what did work, what worked well, what did we create that will help kids be their best selves. And I'm also very excited about the metaverse. Many people have heard this term being floated about. I would encourage folks who want to learn more about it to look up David Kleeman, who is uh, a real expert in this area. It's this idea of almost like a 3D internet. No one actually has one definition of what the metaverse is, but in the future, the thought is, and whether it actually gets to this place and when is, is another question, but the idea is that all of those worlds become connected to each other. I think the future is going to bring us some really interesting learning opportunities where kids can go online and learn in new and interesting ways at their own pace. And so that, that the experience of learning isn't just sitting in a classroom and everyone learning the same thing, but teachers are always going to be very important and having a, a, a caring knowledgeable adult helping you navigate your learning path is always going to be important. But I think that uh, technology is going to be really advancing over the next couple decades so that we're going to be using it for really enriching, immersive experiences that will help kids grow. How about you? What are you thinking for the future? What do you see as as the opportunities? <laughs> I'm, no, I, I'm almost... Um... I'm afraid to to predict because with every disruption comes a whole new wave of of change. I mean, schools got disrupted and now we can look at all this online learning and technology coming in. So we don't know what the next disruption will bring. If we could have technology really support teachers, I think a lot of the change has come on technology and children. And I think that is very important. But now we need to bring in the centrality of that adult who really mediates the learning environment. Because for young children especially, their ability to just engage with something, however 3D it is, is not the same. And I, they, that human interaction is needed for the social, emotional, all the elements of learning. In many professions, if we look at the medical profession, for example, now the way physicians do tests, the way they read our results, the way they do surgeries, everything is technology assisted. The level of which healthcare now is able to improve people's lives has that assistance. I wish the same for technology in the classroom, that it enables these teachers to be superpower teachers, to create, as you say, the, the right environments. Because in many parts of the world, they have 20, 30, 40, 50 kids in a classroom and it's one teacher. Gives them that empowerment. I think it's going to go a long way in going to scale, in reaching the millions of children who we know are lagging behind the millions of children who are unable to even read a complete sentence by fifth grade when they're 10 years of old. If we can have the adult in their life who has the responsibility for teaching, if, we can, if technology can support them to really have that skill, I think we're going to make a big difference. I just need to give a plug for Google Classroom because Google Classroom provides teachers with so many tools that they can use to make their classroom a wonderful place and helps teachers organize their classrooms and uh, provide content to children. And so 
as you were saying that I was saying, yes, 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 absolutely. But, um, but I, but I hear you. I think we really, we have to remember the teachers too. And I think to all the parents who are listening to us, I would be so interested to know where do they see technology and education go next? It would be so amazing if we got responses from parents. Um, what do they want to see and where do they want to see it go? What is what is it that they value? What is it they prioritize? I think this would be so helpful for UNICEF. It would be so helpful for Google. It would give us a tremendous amount of information on, on looking to the future. Jen, thanks so much for joining me on this podcast. And thank you so much for talking to me, Pia. It is an honor to be talking to you. This podcast was produced by Ashley Clivery. Subscribe wherever you're hearing this so that you know when new episodes of Parenting Refreshed become available. Or head to the website for more information, unicef.org forward slash parenting. Whilst you're there, you'll also find other episodes in the series including discussions around parenting and mental health. People ignored the signs, my early signs of like anxiety and depression. So I'm like overly cautious. Like, what's that? It's like, I'm just sad. <laughs> I'm allowed to be sad. Like, you're right. You're right. Technology. Try not to say no. Try to find a way for yes to be good for everyone. And immunization. What concerns me terribly is the, the dramatic decrease in immunization rates in children that we've seen through the pandemic and now the associated outbreaks of some devastating preventable diseases.